Welcome, everybody, to the Cleared Off the Line podcast for soccer fans and soccer players alike. I'm Forrest Tucker. And I'm Terry Craig. Let's get right to it. Well, everybody, the Premier League season is over. It's done and dusted. Liverpool have won the title, and we have Watford, Bournemouth, and Nart City that have gone down in the championship. Here to break it all down and kind of just relive it, review it, we have our, uh, us two right here. And then we have some fans coming on from uh, all the big clubs in England and that Arsenal Spurs it a bit farther down the table, Terry. Maybe they're not as big as they were a couple years ago, but nonetheless, we have fans from a lot of clubs on today. You feeling excited? I'm very excited. You know, we, we try our best to include the fans, and this is it. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, we're going to bring in our first fan who is a Liverpool fan. A lot of uh, good, good vibes from him, I suppose, because they've won the title. It's Will Negron. Welcome to the show, Will. How are you doing? Are you safe? What's going on? I I'm doing well, Terry. Thanks for thanks for having me on. I'm I'm excited to talk about the the world champions, the European champions, and the champions of England. Good, oh, good. Man, he's really, really high to himself right now, isn't he, Terry? <laughs> exactly. I, won, I forgot about the Club World Cup. I think that was the last like big international competition before COVID started. But anyways, yeah. Will, um, you're your team's done a, has a really great season. It's been kind of on the cards for a while. Uh, how are you feeling about them right now as you look back on it? I mean, obviously, I would have liked it to be under better circumstances. It's it was weird watching the the trophy lift so late so late in the year and no fans there. Um, I think every everyone at the club in the city, all the supporters would have would have liked it differently, but. I mean, it was, it was on the cards for a while. So we're all we're all just very happy that it did eventually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, looking back on the season, in, incredible. I mean, you look at before before um, Project Restart, Liverpool were playing were a more dominant team than you had ever seen in the Premier League. I mean, obviously, there's room for argument if they were the best, but I mean you can there's not much room to argue that they were the most dominant and it was just it was a very very special season for their for their first Premier League trophy mm-hmm. yeah where I, were yeah, where I, were you when they clinched the title what'd you do um I I was in my living room and I was just I was just watching all the celebrations in Liverpool that was crazy I mean if you want to see how much it means to the club just the celebrations in Liverpool, people disregarding uh, lockdown protocol and social distancing guidelines and just going absolutely nuts in the street. That's, that's 30 years of wait, 30 years of pain, all, all coming together and finally, finally being able to celebrate a league title. Of course, of course. What are you? What are your thoughts on uh, just just the squad in general? To me, I have written down here that I just like their depth of their team. Uh, what do you think on that? And had you know, there might be some players that might leave, maybe. But it all in all, squad squad thoughts from you. Um, I mean, I think when you look at the squad when Klopp took over to the squad that we have now, it's so radically different. I mean, this is this is Klopp's team. They're only there are only a handful of players who were at the club before Klopp who are still 
you know, playing a role in the squad. So, I mean, I think, I think in terms of individual ability, it's not, it's not the best squad um, in the league, but when you look at it, how it works as a, as a whole team, how the, the backroom staff complements the players and how the level of trust between everyone, it's, it's something really beautiful to watch. And there are definitely, there are going to be a few changes over the summer. Adam Milano's already, already um, signed a new deal with Brighton and um, I'm sure there'll be a couple more departures, but the core of the squad, I think will definitely stay the same. And I mean, just as you mentioned, yeah, the depth, it's, it's crazy how, how many strong first team players we have in our squad. It's a very strong squad, but uh, as players go, players got to come in. Is there any player on your watch list that you'd like to be a Liverpool player for the upcoming season? Yes, I I really want Tiago to come in. Tiago, I think yes. <laughs> I think that's highly uh, he's highly wanted. I hear yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think him just you know there's talk of why now them leaving the club. Adam Milano's already left. I think him in that midfield could be could be something really special. But then if he comes in, obviously there'd have to be a couple more departures. Um, but honestly, I think even if Liverpool didn't make any big signings in this transfer window, I think, I think there's still, I think they'll still be challenging for the title next year. Yeah, of course. So, so I was, I have a question here <laughs> down repeat question mark. What do you, what do you think? Do you think that there is a feasible possibility that they'll repeat next year or not? Yeah, I think, I think there's a good chance. I mean, Obviously, you look at you look at what other teams are doing. Um, Manchester United have looked strong since Project Restart. So have Chelsea, um, and obviously Manchester City are always going to be always going to be competing. But I think I think Liverpool will definitely be up there at, at the very least. Um, but it'll be interesting to see now that now that Klopp has gotten the Champions League and the Premier League, if he'll be challenging for the FA Cup or the League Cup competitions that in the past he is he hasn't he hasn't had as a focus if he's now going to be look if his next step is now are we going to look at maybe doing a treble maybe you know winning winning competitions that we haven't won yet so it'll just be interesting to see where Klopp's priorities are going into the new year all right earlier you said that it's up for debate of uh whether whether or not this Liverpool team is the greatest Premier League team ever do you think they are? Do you think they're better than the Invincibles or maybe some of those 100-point uh, city teams? What do you think? You know, I don't think so. If you had asked me this question before Project Restart, I would have said, yes, they're the best team to ever play in the Premier League. But I think since since Project Restart, a few of their flaws have been exposed. And I think, I think it's going to be – it might be a year or two before Klopp's able to build that, that – invincible centurion type squad all right will thank you so much for joining us we appreciate yeah, it thanks for having okay. me we'll see you all later bye all right, stay safe out here bro you too well everybody now joining us is trey martin manchester city fan city spelled c-i-t dash e-h if, if you know what i'm saying um <laughs>
So anyways, Trey, second place finish for you all. Are you really, but are you really disappointed though? That's my question because you, you've won it so many times in the past couple of years. Like, did, do you really, really even care at this point? It's like, ah, well, they, they beat us. We'll, we'll have it next year, maybe. Well, um, it definitely is disappointing, you know, to finish second. Uh, of course, you always want to do your best, but Liverpool just had a fantastic year. And like you said, there really wasn't any catching up to them after the first couple of weeks. They, they had a huge gap between them and the rest of the field. Um, and so they just played tremendous football all year. But um, I feel like uh, domestically, you could say things were disappointing, um, considering that City won the league the past two years. They had 100 points in 2018, 98 points in 2019. Uh, they won the FA Cup. They won the Carabao Cup. They won uh, the Community Shield. So um, they were coming off of just winning everything domestically. So, of course, not winning everything is going to be viewed as a disappointment. But um, City still have a lot to play for this season. They still have a Champions League that they're going after. And I feel like as a City fan, um, that is the one title uh, that, that has eluded us for many years that I would love to get us to, to have. All right, perfect. Uh, Trey, I bet you had a big sigh of relief not too long ago as that European ban was lifted upon y'all. Y'all get to play in Champions League again. What does that mean for your club? Well, like I said, um, we've won ev pretty much everything you can win domestically. Um, but I feel like for City to get the respect that they uh, feel like they deserve throughout the world, then they need to win something in Europe. Um, they need to get a Champions League. Uh, they, they need to prove that they can hang, you know, with the Real Madrids. They can hang with Juventus. They can hang with Liverpool um, when it comes to those European competitions. So uh, being able to, you know, come back into the Champions League uh, definitely is exciting uh, because not having that to play for, uh, that's the one title that has just eluded us for so long. So to not be able to play for that would be disappointing. Right, right. Well, yeah, definitely, definitely different format as far as the Champions League goes. So it might, might just bode that it's anyone's game at this point to, to win that competition just because it's so much different. Now. David Silva is out the door for you all uh, very, very soon. And Phil Foden has been tapped as his replacement. I, for one, think that you know, Foden's going to have a bit of catching up to do, but he seems like he's pretty well settled into the club. How do you uh, feel about that, that switch? Well, Phil Foden, I've been high on him uh, from the very beginning of his you know, time at City. He's kind of grown up within the club. And so um, among us fans, we've all, there's kind of been a folklore around him of, you know, Phil Foden is next up. Um, so it is very exciting to see him, you know, start taking on more roles with the club. And as you said, now that David Silva is leaving, that role is going to be his. Um, so I'm very high on him. Um, I, I think that he's got um, a lot of players to learn from. Uh, David Silva being one of them, he learned from him a lot, but he's also got one of the best midfielders in the world in Kevin De Bruyne uh, alongside of him. Um, so he definitely is not going to have to come in and like you see in some situations, uh, the next great player is kind of given all the responsibility uh, very young, at a very young age in their career. I don't think that's going to be the case with Foden. I think that, you know, he's going to be able to share a lot of the workload and I think he's going to be able to kind of work his way into a more important role and not have that much responsibility. 
Uh, but I think the future is very bright for him. Uh, and, and of course, uh, when you're working with uh, the, the offense that City has, uh, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely a good spot to be in. What are your chances of winning this uh, year's Champions League? We know Leroy Sané has gone to Bayern Munich, Sergio Aguero's out. What do you think of that strike force? Who's going to score the goals for you? Well, thankfully, you know, we, we went into Madrid back before all of the coronavirus stuff, and we were able to get two uh, away goals there. Um, so thankfully, we're not really looking for that many goals. Uh, but uh, our, our defense has definitely been a, a huge question mark. So we will need uh, some goals. Uh, but I think uh, that uh, Raheem Sterling um, has seemed to settle in within the last couple of games. Um, of course, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, the last couple of games, he, he scored an absolute world-class goal last Sunday against Norwich. Um, so it looks like they're, finding, they're starting to find um, their comfort zone with that. Um, but I would definitely look towards uh, some of the veterans like Sterling, um, De Bruyne, um, and, and they're probably going to be who we rely on the most. Uh, but also, uh, Gabriel Jesus hasn't had too good uh, of a start, you know, since football has returned. Uh, but he's a wild card. He's some he's somebody that can go in there and he can get you a goal um, if you really need it. So I, I hope uh, that that he'll try to kind of find his groove uh, here in this second leg against Real Madrid. All right, one last question from me. Um, with the squad so great, I think that it's really hard to pick out weaknesses. So, Trey, in your opinion, what do you think is the weakest spot in the, in the club or in the squad? I definitely think uh, the back line um, is the weakest spot. Um, and, and it speaks to how good um, the forwards are for Manchester City uh, because the back line at Man City, I'm sure – a lot of clubs would love to have the players that they have. Uh, but, you know, with the style of football that Pep Guardiola wants them to play, they're pushed very high up the field. Um, and so, you know, when they're controlling possession for the first 30, 40 minutes of a game, uh, a lot of times we've seen this season that just one bad pass, uh, one mistake will lead to a counterattack. And then suddenly City would be find themselves down 1-0 um, and they'd have to call uh, claw their way back from a deficit. So um, I, I definitely feel like uh, the defense, uh, they need to play a lot safer. Um, and, and that'll be something interesting to see because they have a lot of great players uh, with Kyle Walker, uh, with Laporte, um, Fernandinho. Uh, they have a lot of great players back there. Um, but I feel like they um, were the one group that didn't play, always play to, you know, that really high, um, honestly, like perfect expectation that Pep Guardiola sets for his clubs. Um, so uh, I know uh, City is never afraid to, you know, go big in the transfer market. So it would be cool to see them try to sign a center back, maybe like Jimenez from Atletico Madrid um, or, or uh, somebody else, you know, to try to just give them a breath of fresh air. Um, and help them with that decision-making. Of course, of course. Now, Trey, thank you very much for joining us. That's all we have time for today. Uh, really happy to have you on. Really appreciate you taking the time for us. Here, we're here to introduce a uh, big Arsenal fan, Jacob Schultz. Jacob, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, welcome, welcome. How's it going, boys? 
Great. Going good. Great. Going good. Thanks for having me on. Terry, how about you uh, start off first with this? You two are uh, fellow Arsenal fans um, in, in Brotherhood. So uh, first question for Jacob, it's all you. First question. Here's an easy one. Assess Mikel Arteta for me. How has he done? Things that he can improve on? What does he have to do to improve Arsenal for the future? Um, so I think this season, obviously, he took over a pretty fractured locker room, as you all know. I mean, you know, with all the fallout with the Granite Xhaka and just with the behavior problems with Guendouzi and then Meza Ozil, especially with his, uh, with his wage dispute and everything, I think he really – he's done a good job of – really rebranding the locker room and kind of bringing back the old Arsenal way where it's kind of like putting the club before yourself, really. And I think he's done a good job in that, but I think he really needs to improve on something that we've seen in, uh, after the lockdown, especially was his in-game management. But other than that, I think he's done pretty well. I think if he has backing from the board and just gets the right signings in, then I think it'll set up Arsenal well for the future. Of course, of course. Let me talk about – uh, Guendouzi and Jacques and Ozil. Uh, just, just for my thoughts on the three of them, I, I feel like Mesut Ozil is best uh, to leave Arsenal for himself and the club. And, and uh, Matteo Guendouzi definitely has some growing up to do. He's had some immaturity issues in my eyes. But um, ending on Granite Jaka, I know I – am I right to say uh, you could you, – you both can vouch for this uh, better than I can – that he's a bit uh, – um, how should I – it, Arsenal fans are conflicted about him. Would that be the right – analysis I think uh originally when we signed Granit Xhaka we were all convinced that he was strictly a defensive midfielder whereas and Wenger played him there and he just wasn't working there and then he pushed him up the field a little bit more and he started to play better but yeah there was some behavioral issues with him under Emery but I really feel like that Arteta has changed him he Xhaka was a dude that was almost out the door and now he's basically – you have to put him in every game because he's just that important to the squad. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. I mean, because now even look at him, he's he's fighting for the captaincy with Aubameyang, you know. And it's mm -hmm. like he's so vital to that locker room right now. It's crazy just how the fans really were just turned on in one minute and then it was complete 180 with Arteta. And it's just, it's just crazy how different he was, a player under Emery, and then how he's performing now under Arteta. Mm-hmm. Gwen Doozy, big problem, little problem, or medium problem for you all as far as maturity goes? Jacob, I'll start with you. Um, I would say – I'd say medium problem. I mean, because it's not just one incident. You know, he's been, he's been having – it's been multiple behavioral issues. It's not just one time. It's, it's multiple times. And it, as you can see, Arteta hasn't even put him in the squad for – ever since that fallout after the Brighton game, after the lockdown. And, you know, obviously he's got great talent and he's got great potential, but it's just at what point does his behavior really start to affect the team and really start to emphasize or go against really what the plan that Arteta has for the team and for the future going forward. I got yeah, you. Exactly. Go on, Terry. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, just one little thing. I think um, it's big for Arteta's reputation yeah. to sell Guendouzi. I yeah. think that they should sell him because wow. I'm not expecting yeah. yeah. because yeah. if he goes back on his original decision to keep him out of the squad and then just put him in, I yeah. he'll he'll lose respect amongst the dressing room. Sure. So I think Genzuzi has played his last game for Arsenal. Especially wow. especially Terry, when you think about how much money you can get for him. I mean, because he is so promising. Like he I, we all know he has great talent. You know, he made the French national team and he's only twenty one. Mm -hmm. And it's just like he has such great potential. You can really 
honestly, like you could get a lot of money for him if you needed to. I mean, he's probably what twenty five, thirty million in transfer fee. Yeah, I would I would say so. Easy. But, uh, moving, yeah, but moving on. Uh, FA Cup this weekend. Uh, Arsenal didn't qualify for Europa League place in the Premier League, but they win this. They'll hop into it. How big of a game is this for the club? And do you think that they can beat Chelsea? Um, I think it's a big game for the club. I mean, obviously, it's it was a disappointing season, finishing eighth out of out of a Europe spot, but still have a chance for silverware, still have a chance to get in, even after all this, you know. And I think that's a big testament to to how far we were under Emery and how far Arteta's taken us, even mm-hmm. through some inconsistent performances, especially with all the Corona stuff and all the adversity that's come. But yeah, I think it's a big game, and they definitely have a chance, you know. I mean, they tied. Yeah, they tied Chelsea before the lockdown. It was 2-2, right? With uh, Martinelli scored that long goal where he uh, blew past Conte. Yeah. And then, but, I mean, they got a chance. I mean, Pulisic's playing well right now. Chelsea's playing well in general. But, I mean, Arsenal is as well. You know, it's just if they can have a good performance and it's really the defense. If, if the defense sets up well and has, they're rock solid in front of Martinez, then they have a chance. I mean, they're in the game, you know. What a – what are the, were the problems for you under Unai Emery that Mikel Arteta has fixed or is in the process of fixing right now for you, Jacob? I would say he's turning the Ds into Ws and the Ls into, into draws, you know? I mean, because before the lockdown, we were, we were unbeaten in 2020. And it's just – it's really – it's the defensive problems. And, I mean, did you look at – Unai Emery, he didn't even – we signed Pepe in the summer. He didn't even play him most of the time, you know. He was barely getting time in the first team. I think it's really that squad selection and choosing the best players and setting us up to win. And not really – at this point, because he knows – Arteta knows that he's playing with not the squad that he really wants, but he's doing the best with that squad. So he really – so I think that's the difference is that Unai Emery was trying to play a certain way, like to a piece to a certain style, whereas Arteta, he's saying, well, these are the players we have. These are the strengths. Let's really just move forward with the strengths until we can get better players in the dressing room. That's an admirable way to go about it. Yeah, Terry, what do you think? All right, one last question for me. Um, There are obvious holes in the squad. I think anyone can see that. Is there a name or two on the transfer market that you'd like to see be an Arsenal player? Um, Obviously, Thomas Partey, just to secure up that midfield. I think that's one that's really been floating around ever since – Probably January, when you say, Terry? Even just, longer than that. Yeah, even longer always there. popping up. And then um, I think it's that. I think we need another center back, like Opa Meccano. I think that's kind of mm-hmm. a long shot. But I think we need another center back just to center, to shore up that defensive line. And then another thing that nobody's really talking about is we need another attacking midfielder. Because Ozil really kind of created all those chances. When you look at the chances we've created, especially against, like, you know, we beat Liverpool the other day 2-1 but we had two shots on goal and they were both mistakes. So we're really lacking that creative presence in the midfield. So I would like someone like, I know a lot of names been thrown out like Coutinho. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's the name that might happen. I feel like Felipe Coutinho might be Arsenal player. Yeah. It's the name on my mind. I would also like to see uh, Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. Grealish. Okay. Yeah. That's a possible. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much the Villa players will move once uh, – since they're back – they're still yeah. in the league. Um, I don't know. I, maybe, it, you know, maybe not Grealish. Maybe his teammate Tyrone Mings could come and – Maybe. 
get come to uh, your aid with the center back uh, troubles and all that stuff. Um, just to circle back to one thing very quickly, uh, I didn't get to ask you about Ozil, Jack, uh, possibly leaving, and you said you wanted another attacking mid. Is it Ozil out and then hopefully maybe, like we're saying, a Coutinho coming in? Is that what you're hoping for? That would be the hope just because, I mean, he's eating over 350K a week and he's not playing. You know, so it's like, what's the point okay. of paying all this money? And he's not, he's not even in the squad. You know, he's not even on the bench. So, I mean, that's the, that's the dream. I know there's been reports that he's saying that he's not going to leave until his contract runs out. But, I mean, they're just yeah. got I think it's time's done. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jacob. We appreciate it and all that. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah, Thanks, Jacob. It. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. Now, everybody um, – we would like to introduce you to Jackson Sims, a Spurs fan. Let's see what's going on with Jackson. Jackson, uh, your Spurs have finished above Arsenal. Uh, so St. Totteringham's Day is off for, uh, I, I don't know how many years in a row this is, but it's starting to add up. How do you feel about four the years. after the season? Only four years. O only four, that's what Terry yeah. Craig says. But anyways, how do you feel about the club? How do I feel about the club? I, I wish we could have done so much better. I... I'm thankful. I, I can never complain about finishing above Arsenal. That's always that's always a great feeling. But I feel like we deserve we, – we're way better than a Europa League team. I will say that. Well, I, that's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. What uh, you, you all made a pretty, uh, pretty drastic change at, in the middle of the season. You took out Mauricio Pochettino. And you've added in Jose Mourinho. Uh, your your head is in your hands. Well, I'm saying this to you. Do you think Pot should have gotten the sack back then? And do you think Mourinho should have been the guy to take over or not? What are your thoughts? All right. So the for, to answer the first question, I, I don't understand how we go from being a top four team for the past like five years in a row. Literally, this season before this, we came second in the Champions League. Pochettino has won like two, three months of bad games, and we just absolutely sack him, I think it was just a horrible move. I mean, he, I, uh, it, it gave me anxiety to watch that. And then to watch Jose Mourinho become the new head coach, I, it, it, was, it was hard. I, I've hated the way Jose's ran us. I, I, he just, for a team that we have and how much speed and talent that we have to basically just be a defensive team these past few weeks, and just play the counterattack that Jose Mourinho does at the park, the bus, kind of, you know, ha-ha joke kind of thing that he does. But it, but I've noticed that it's so true now that he's the head coach, that he just counterattack, doesn't ever want to push anybody forward, and it's made me so angry. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think that that style of football will be successful for Tottenham this upcoming season? Or is it just going to be a mess? I, I think it's going to be a mess because with – um, Pochettino, he, I mean, you got to think, we have Huming Son, who's pace, uh, Lucas Moore, who's literally just pace. Even Lamella even showed up this year, these past two seasons. Even Lamella has shown up to be a great player. And we have all this pace and all this skill and all that kind of stuff for just a team to just basically rely on Sissoko and Harry Winks and Ndombele just to hold a midfield and just pass it out and just be boring. I don't think it works with what we have at Tottenham. I hope it works, but I, I don't think it can, in my opinion. It's, it's too a defensive team for a team that has so much speed. Given Harry Kane's our striker and he's slow as a everything, but, 
I mean, he's a target, man. You got to get up the field and pass it to him literally inside the box. I think the bigger issue here might be Daniel Levy. Um, mm. I feel as if he's somewhat of a weird mm. man around White Hart Lane. Or mm-hmm. actually, excuse me, it's not White Hart Lane anymore. I'm, I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, 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 you know, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Anyways, do you think that he's made a rash decision in, in, the, in the managerial change or not? I, I think anything that has gone into this whole managerial change is just a rash, just kind of in-the-moment decision. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was – I think it was a decision that was made because, oh, my goodness, Tottenham has lost, like, four games in a row. This isn't like us. Let's change something and hope for the better. And it's just gone down the well. It just hasn't worked out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I, 100% it was a rash and in-the-moment decision that I think in probably the next two to three years, Tottenham is going to regret doing the whole entire committee of Tottenham. I, I think it. Okay. And let me switch, let me switch gears from the managerial stuff and the, and the Daniel Levy situation. I want to talk more about players. Um, there's, they are a lot of good players in the Tottenham mm-hmm. squad. What player would you like to see more from moving forward? The, okay. So I'll give you two players. I don't understand how we spend so much money on Lo Celso and Ndombele and they don't start ever. I don't, I don't get the thing of starting Harry Winks over Ndombele, what Ndombele did for his last club and Harry Winks being given Harry Winks is a younger player and it's not bad to give someone, you know, play time. But whenever you have somebody like him who's young and somebody who's kind of not a veteran, but he's definitely had more experience sitting yeah. on the bench. I, I completely disagree. I want way more out of Ndombele, especially how much we paid for him. And then Lo Celso, Lo Celso even the great at midfield. I forget where Lo Celso played last, but the games that Lo Celso has played for us, I mean, he's he's held the midfield. He's passed as well, and there's just no play time, in my opinion. There's just no play time for these two players that both deserve it. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think that it's it, it's it's very frustrating when you, you bring in two players and you you expect the players that you bring in on transfers to play and strengthen the team when you know they never touch the field. Don't play. It's a, it's a very frustrating uh, deal. Um, looking forward for you all, what do you what do you see as any bright spots, if any? I so of course our attacking is. I, I think that front three of Kane, Mora, and Kuming Sun, I think because this is what Lucas Morris, it's the second season with us on that free transfer. I think he's slowly catching into the style of playing with Sun and Kane, and I'm loving it. I'm really looking forward to ho- hopefully two more years with Lucas Mora and those two have taught. Now, I don't know how many more years Harry Kane has here before, like, Real Madrid swipes him up finally. I was going to just ask you about, you know, what do you think he could be a transfer target for another team? But yeah, yeah. I, I think two, two years at max, maybe three pushing it. I think Kane's gone to somewhere else, which is totally deserving. I mean, the man finishes almost third, fourth, if not getting the golden boot every single year for us, playing against teams like Liverpool, Manchester City, and stuff like that. And Man United this past year with their defense and still putting – what he his last game he scored seven goals in five matches since the resume and all that kind of stuff. I mean that's it's pretty good in my opinion, given that we didn't play like the greatest teams recently. But I mean still you're still scoring against Premier League defenses. Mm-hmm. So I, the only thing that right. I go ahead. 
Oh, no, you finish. You finish. The only thing that I'm worried about right now is the whole Jan Vertonghen and Toby Otterweld, basically. Jan left. Vertonghen left, I'm pretty sure. And then Otterweld, like, leaving soon as well. That's the one part that I am god-awfully worried about is our defense these coming up years because we're losing, basically, our two defenders that played at IX together. Both took the transfer to Tottenham together. Both start for Belgium's national team. I mean, the chemistry between those two, that's another thing that um, Mourinho messed up. He never started either Alderweireld or Vertonghen, and then we started losing games. And I'm like, you know, maybe if you put the two players that have chemistry with each other, it would kind of work out instead of starting Sanchez, which Sanchez is a great defender, and he had Eric Dyer at center back like three games in a row. The man has like 30 pace. I can out-sprint him, and I'm 21 years old. That that doesn't make sense to me. I don't I – don't, yeah. It, yeah, so that's I'm worried about defense these coming up seasons, but offense wise, I still I still think we've got a great team though. All right, well maybe Terry can ask you something that makes sense. So Terry, what what are you saying next up? All right, one last question from me. I know uh, the higher ups in the club they're not really keen to spend money in the transfer market. They haven't shown so Never. over the past couple of years, and probably won't in the future. But if there is a name out there, who do you want? I know that you were talking earlier about. <sighs> The defense being weak is there a defender, maybe another midfielder. Who's somebody that can spice up the squad? Somebody that Mourinho could want. Midfield wise and attack wise, I think we have enough. I, I I'm fine with that area of the field as long as he starts the right players. I think it comes down to defense. I don't know how much the Reese has in him left either as a goalie at Tottenham. He's getting kind of old. As much as I hate it, because I love him. So if, if I could pick a player, I, I've i been keen these past few years on a Donnarumma trade for a goalie, hmm. young goalie coming in. I mean, it's kind of hard to get an Italian player to come in to the Premier League. I mean, Jorginho did it well. Um, another defender, our right backs and left backs are looking fine right now. I don't know what defenders are running out of contracts coming up soon, but like a Koulibaly would be nice. Just another big man in the back like Davison Sanchez. Because, I mean, I'm pretty sure Sanchez is going to be starting with us, and he needs another counterpart that can stick with his pace and all that. Yeah. Of course, of course. Well, Jackson, we have to cut it right there. We thank you for joining us. All right, next, next up we have uh, Ollie Wilson joining us from Surrey, England. So let's bring Ollie in right now then. Everyone, uh, pleased to welcome Ollie Wilson on Chelsea Fan. Um, pretty decent season for the Blues Ollie, what, what have you made of it uh, just as a whole? Um, me and my friends did a – we tried to predict the table at the start of the season. I thought six would have been successful in a cup run. And so to get top four and to be in the FA Cup final on Saturday, I think we passed all expectations. But being in the position that we were in third for the last couple of weeks, for it to have come so close, if we was to have missed out, I would have seen it as a disappointment because of where we were based on the last six, eight weeks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we've had, some, we've had some good, we've had some bad. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to touch on your prediction preseason. Um, what were your biggest question marks when you started out the season and have those question marks been answered um, by Frank and the players as we stand here right now? Um, my questions were how good – were the youth players going to be, so Abraham Mount, etc. And how would we cope with winning games when we lost Eden Hazard? 
I see. Yeah, he contributed to I think it was forty nine percent of our goals in the Premier League last year. So to lose fifty percent of your goals in one summer and not be able to replace him until this summer, it was it was tough. And then, so how how do you think it's turned out then? Um, well, Tammy Abraham, his first full season in the Premier League, he had a, a loan at Swansea, didn't do terribly, but ended up with 15 goals. I think Mason Mount has been exceptional. He's passed all my expectations from what I saw last year at Derby. Uh, who else comes through? Reese James, after his injury. I think the only letdown was Hudson Odoi, but to have had an injury like he had, uh, you can't really expect much. And I think Loftus Cheek next year, because he only really came back just before coronavirus, and then that stopped progression. And so he's been not been able to really get match fit until maybe last week, two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and Tomori as well. To mention another name has come in on the back line and not had too much action, but still he's gotten minutes. So Terry, what do you have for Ollie? So uh, Chelsea bringing in Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech, two of the most exciting young players in the world. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you expect um, Frank Lampard to integrate them into the squad? Uh, well, I'm genuinely, I can't wait for the start of the season. We'll see it, 12th of September. I think Hakim Ziyech is the type of player that we've been missing. Someone, when teams sit back and just play two banks of four, back five, back four in front, and we can't break them down. Someone with his ability, what his skill set is, and someone with a with a bit of arrogance. Someone who is slightly cocky, like he knows he's good. Mm. Someone with a bit of character will go and win a game. Like, look what Fernandez has done for Man United. He's a winner and he's changed that team completely. I think they've not lost apart. I don't think they've lost since he's joined. Or they might have lost once. But I'm not sure. I think the last um it was FA Cup, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I don't like think that. In the league since he's played. Yeah, so no, have... the league, not in the league, you're correct. Um, do you think you found your manager in Frank? I know there were question marks because I know he's managed Derby and all that, and it's he had a good good run there. But still, again, Premier League is quite different than the championship. Have those questions been answered? Do you think you have your man long term? I think yes. I I think Chelsea have a history of managers coming and going without success, but I think he needs time to three, four seasons have a project. Like look at Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. His first season, they were cele- they celebrated getting the Europa League. Like so it's small achievements for them. We in his first season he's got top four. And he's beaten he's beaten United in the FA Cup. He's beat Man City. We beat Liverpool in the Cup. We've beat Arsenal. We've beat Tottenham twice. We've beaten all the big teams. It's just struggling against smaller teams. I think if we didn't have the poor result against West Ham and the poor result against Sheffield, we'd be six points higher than what we are. And you could argue that that would be surpassing all expectations that any Chelsea fan would have had. Terry, over to you. What do you 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 have a big FA Cup final this weekend against Arsenal. Uh, what about that Arsenal team scares you? And what about that Arsenal team do you think that you that your Chelsea team can really take advantage of the secure win? Um, Arsenal 
just defensively. They're just, they were all over the place. But again, you saw in the semi-final against Man City that they could be defensively unbelievable. David Luiz, that was probably the best game I've seen him having an Arsenal shirt. But four weeks earlier against Man City, he had arguably the worst game I've seen him having an Arsenal shirt. So it all depends on what Arsenal turns up. The midfield, I think, Xhaka comes and goes. He can be a liability, but he's got something. Ceballos has improved after the break. Going forward, the pace of Aubameyang and Pepe on the wings, if we go with if we go with a back four, we'd be in trouble. But I think Frank will stick to a three with the wing backs. And I think we look a much more comfortable team playing a back five or back three with two wing backs than we do playing a back four at the moment because I don't think we've got the players for it. Because Marcus Alonso can't play a left back on his own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think defensively we can get at Arsenal, especially if we play Giroud because... Defensively, they don't like to be bullied. And Giroud is just... like Look at the Europa League last year. One, was it one goal, two assists? All right, we had Hazard, but none of our team has changed apart from that, apart from Mason Mount and the academy players. Of course, of course. Now, us being uh, very big Christian Plissick fans here at the podcast, we have to ask your opinion of him. Um, many people over here were quite skeptical when he first joined and then in his first couple months just because it was, it was a sticky situation for him. And then, you know, when Lampard came in, it was the player that Lampard did not recruit. So there's really no, uh, no right that he, you know, or no, uh, no obligation to play him. But what do you think, uh, what do you think of his kind of uh, – rise at the club over the past really couple months since since project restart to be honest um yeah since project restart i think he's been the best player in the team by a mile i think the assist against liverpool says that he comes off the bench takes on the best defense in the league on his own beats four players and puts on a plate for abraham and then some of the goals he scored like the goal against man city the composure to run away with it and tuck it away nicely in a big game like that when we were desperate to win at that stage just everything he does he does everything he does has a purpose to it it's never a turn it's not like William where every time he gets the ball he stops looks and probably plays backwards every time he gets the ball it's forwards can I get to goal can I get from A to B as quick as possible obviously Chelsea are bringing a lot of players and I know that you've spoken very highly about the young academy boys the young boys that Chelsea have in their squad do you think maybe bringing so many players might stunt their growth um it has been my worry with the one player I'm worried mostly about is Callum Hudson-Odoi on the wing. Because if you've got Pulisic, you've got have you got uh, Havertz, he plays more as a 10 actually. You've got Ziyech and you've got Werner who could play out wide if you wanted to play Abraham through the middle. It's hard for him, but I think he's got the ability and what I've seen of him, he's a fantastic player I know he gets a lot of a lot of stick online but he's had a serious injury at 19 years old uh, the growth of other players I think Mount I think Mount's too crucial to Chelsea as a team to be dropped because the way he presses the way he moves and just his intensity throughout the game sometimes it's not all there but You've got to expect, you can't expect it to be there every game. But he's played 51 games as a 21-year-old in his first season. 
and he, we look a better team when he plays, especially with the pressing. So otherwise, we look a bit flat. So he's all right. Tamori had an injury, so we've not seen anything of him since the restart. And the other big one, Reese James, I think, will just be our starting right back for however many years he wants to stay. Right. So I think in terms of the academy, we're, we're doing well. And Billy Gilmore especially, he's just had that knee surgery. Hopefully he comes back the same player that he was because especially in that FA Cup win against Liverpool, he looked the best player on the pitch by a mile. He looked so comfortable against, well, now the champions and the current European champions. Ollie, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time today. My pleasure. Right, Terry. Oh, my God. Oh, my days. This has been a long one. It's been a great one. And we have one more team to talk about. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take on this. We couldn't get a, jet, a guest to talk about Manchester United. But ask me a couple questions, Terry. What, pick my brain here for a minute so we can wrap this up. First, I'd like to welcome Forrest Tucker, everyone. Forrest <laughs> Tucker here to talk about Manchester United. All right. Uh, first and foremost, thoughts on Bruno Fernandez? how he links up with the team. What do you think he can do in the future? Oh, dude, man. Bruno came in and just altered everything. I've heard he's brought the joy back in the training for the club. So honestly, if there's one thing that I didn't expect to happen was for him to have such a huge impact. And honestly, I'm happy that it did happen. So good, good on Bruno. He's really a connected play a lot um, and done really well and just bring the team together. If, you know, you, they're the missing piece was a midfielder. And so we have that. I'm not saying we're complete, but, you know, looking forward for him, I think that uh, if he keeps it up and keeps integrating with the team, it's going to be great. All right. Uh, big question for you. I, I know your feelings about Paul Pogba. I know Manchester United fans on social media seem kind of iff iffy about him. What do you think? Keep him or sell him? For Paul Pogba, this is the thing. You kind of have to cater to him, and that's a problem in a sense because he's such a big player and you're going to have to – kind of service him but when you bring in Bruno and you have uh you know other players play better because other players that are around them then Paul Pogba plays better so it's a team cohesion type of thing so if Paul Pogba's in a good team where he feels like he has good players around him he'll he'll stay um there wasn't any talk of rumors with him though he's one of the most expensive players in the in the world so I think we should keep him okay um I don't necessarily think that the goalkeeping position is the weakest spot in the Manchester United squad, but it is most definitely the spot that everyone is looking at right now. Yeah, I know that. Do you think De Gea is is still the guy, or Dean Henderson, or maybe someone else on the transfer market? I feel like David De Gea uh, is not in danger of leaving the club, but in fact, uh, he should be somewhat fearful that we would sell him because his form is dipped. And people, you know, have been too harsh on him like Roy Keane. Some people probably could be harder on him. I just feel like he's getting, he's getting older. And we've had him in goal for a while. He bails us out a lot. And I think those count for more, more you know, more points than uh, him making stupid mistakes. However, um, Dean Henderson's on the come up. And we have had goalkeepers in the past, Anders Lindegaard, uh, Joel Pereira, who have been in the system for years and gotten a little bit of playing time, and then, you know, we just sell them, or they go out on loan again. So there's really no point in us waiting around um, for someone to screw up Dean Henderson. We might as well make him the second-choice goalkeeper um, or, you know, third-choice. He needs, he needs to be in the first team um, as soon as possible. And Romero's had a really great clean sheet record in cups, cup games he's played in. So, honestly, if Romero's our keeper for a while, I'm not unhappy. I think it's fine. 
and I think for a second choice goalkeeper from experience, you might have a gem as a second choice goalkeeper. So keep yeah. that in mind. Um, recently I've heard things that I know Jaden Sancho has been on everyone's name and in the Man U camp, but recently I heard something about Kingsley Coma. Do you think um, Manchester United needs to bolster that attack even more? Uh, you know, I I look at where we want to where we should spend and. Attack is definitely one of those. I don't think we can rely on a teenager in Mason Greenwood to uh, produce. I think Martial and Rashford need to stay up in that top slot. Uh, but we need another attacking player. Needs to be really careful uh, who we spend on. But uh, my concern is that the defense needs to be a little bit more um, – just to, a little bit stronger. It needs to have a little bit of reshuffle because I'm still not the most confident that Eric Bailly is a United quality player. I think Diego, I don't know why we uh, bought Diego Dallo, uh, but I think he should go. I think we just need to bring in, you know, that maybe there are average players that are in the, in the team, but we need to bring in some more, um, just probably, honestly, maybe a couple defenders um, and one or two attackers, maybe, you know, three to four summer signings, if you know, and, and, or January signings all that stuff so that's what I'm looking for uh general okay just give me a general overview of the season you know you qualify for Champions League for the upcoming year it was it was kind of a bumpy road at times but just give me a general assessment of what you think of yeah the we'll, end, we'll end off on this and stuff but uh my kind of thoughts were that it uh it was very very bumpy to begin with like you said I mean you did there were people calling for Ollie to leave, and I just was – I didn't feel that. I didn't feel like that was right. Um, but for the team to come out after, uh, after you know, the break in the season, to be such a force and have such a great run of games and, – and let's not forget, they had a great run of games before. They were unbeaten back before this break, this long break in action. So there's credit where credit's due there. But um, – there were games where they were put on their heels by clubs that were not, you know, were not better than them um, on paper, but it's all about the tactics. Now the manager organizes the team and how the team feels together, but that Bruno signing changes. There's no doubt about it. So at once we got him, it just changed the trajectory because we have someone in midfield that plays center attacking mid and can pull the strings. That changes everything. You have him being able to put in balls. He gets in the box himself. It's great. And that's it for today's episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at CLTL Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and catch us next week. Jogo Bonito.